Welcome back to Netflix and Kill, your source for all things horror and Netflix. And Kill. And mostly horror. Mostly just horror. And but killing kind of goes with that. Yes. Yes. Truth. Yes. So today we are talking about Raw. Ooh, Raw. That's a good one. Oh, the French horror <laughs> movies have always Ooh. been celebrated for their excellence. There is a there is a French horror movie by Julia Ducourneau, inspired by that same French excellence because it's actually it's it's actually French. Yeah, we. Oui. Um, Anyone who doesn't know the drunk Orson Welles meme is very confused right now. <laughs> um. Uh. So originally, this movie was called uh, Grave in French. So is that just the French word for raw? I I think so. Well, I actually don't like, know. Great. I shouldn't. Yeah, I should know because I. I speak French, but yes, I don't know that word. Anyway, very quickly at first, uh, I think most people who listen to the podcast are acquainted with us by now, but just in case, we'll go around and do introductions. I'm Kyla. I make movies sometimes. Yeah. I talk about movies a lot. Um, I'm Marty. Um, I make movies sometimes, not as often. Um, and I also talk about movies a lot. I'm Aaron, and I'm a vegetarian, so this movie was incrementally more fucked up for me than it was for most people. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So, the this movie reminds me of the tidbit that, um, for a while, Toby Hooper went uh, vegetarian because uh, filming uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was so... Um, fucked him up a little bit, so he was like, oh, fuck, I can't trust the food industry. <laughs> and so, that's what this reminds me of. All right. Let's talk about it. Yes. Oof. And I get to be actually semi-intellectual with this one, because this movie has a lot of really interesting stuff, uh, technically, to unpack. All right, so why don't you go first? Okay, so the... You want me to do the synopsis? Sure, so yeah. The set, so, so the setup for Raw, the sort of the elevator pitch, is a young woman, lifelong vegetarian, in metropolitan France, which can't be easy, um... <laughs> Is uh, goes to veterinary school, and in the long tradition of French genre cinema, this is about the weirdest, most probably unrealistic depiction of a French veterinary school I've ever seen. But as part of a hazing ritual, she's fed uh, meat. Um, it's rabbit meat. Rabbit meat, yes. It's a rabbit kidney. A rabbit kidney, and I don't think it was cooked or anything like that. No, it's raw. Um, ah, I get it. Ha ha. Um, oh. And uh, and then that makes her sick because well I mean I've I've I'm not lifelong vegetarian and the last time I ate meat was the first time in five years and I had a stomach ache for two days so you get it you know she gets a rash apparently it's an allergic reaction and uh, and then she starts to she starts to get hungry she hungers for meat if you will and uh, she she should have just gone to Arby's yeah. they have the meats. Mm-hmm. And I don't her, think they uh, have Arby's in France. <laughs> well, yeah. they should. That would have fixed the problem. Well, they've got fast food in France. They oh, have, yeah, they just don't have Arby's. Apparently, they have steak and shakes all Le over the Big place. Le <laughs> Big Mac. Le Big Mac. A Royale wait, with the, cheese. Wait, yeah. they, have, they have steak and shake in France. Apparently, that's the most popular American fast food chain in France. Steak and shake sucks. <laughs> well, yeah. Speaking of shitty food choices, uh, she, starts to, uh, she starts to eat meat, but because she was really upfront and puritan about it in the beginning parts of the movie she um she has to she like sneaks out to a convenience store with her friend in the middle of the night and gets like a crap ton of meat at one point she eats a raw chicken and then in the first of many many deeply uncomfortable scenes 
the can mythos of this movie was that when uh, Duke Corneau, who basically seems like the most hard-ass, hardcore horror filmmaker of the last several years, like, uh, when, when this movie screened, there were apparently a ton of people who, no one booed the movie because it's too good, but a lot of people passed out and vomited. <laughs> Which makes and, sense because, like... Oh, God, the scene, the scene, the first scene... Which, bear in mind, probably still within the first act of this fucking movie, is when we re- is when she goes to the bathroom and she, oh god, for anyone who's had lo- who's ever had long hair, she yanks hair out of her throat because she started eating her own hair, and it's the most holy crap! It is. I hadn't felt of that is the first of many, many, many visceral reactions in this movie. And uh, we soon learn in another pivotal, amazing, holy shit, I wish I had come up with this scene, uh, that she has developed a taste for human flesh when she accidentally cuts off her sister's finger when her, when her sister is trying to give her a bikini wax. And she takes the finger. And I remember this because the audience had like 20 or 30 people in it. And the entire audience just goes, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Knowing the premise that this is about a cannibal, that this is about a cannibal, it is still just, oh, my God. We actually had to take a break. I remember. Do you remember yeah. that? We had to take a fucking break. And we're people who have seen all kinds of fucked up shit, including but not limited to, you know, the news. And this was still something that fucked us up so hard. That yeah. we had to quit. I'm not even sure. They interviewed Du Corneau after the film. She was actually like one of the hottest commodities at Cannes this pa- at Cannes a couple years ago for this movie that made people pass out. And they asked her like, "Are you proud of uh, Are you proud of uh, of making people pass the fuck out?" And she goes, and you know, she says, "Well, no." But I almost I always imagine her responding to that question as just like, no, what? Come on. No, of course not. When in actuality, you don't make a movie like this if you don't take a personal sense of delight in being a sadistic fuck to your audience. <laughs> and just, oh boy, it is the, of everything out of this new horror wave for me, it's not, it's not the scariest. I slept pretty well after it was done, but it is the fuckedest movie of the new horror wave from any country that I've seen. Yeah, it's definitely and the it's most a fucking, visceral. And it's a first feature. Yeah, it's she her did very short, first movie. She did a short in 2011, she did this movie, and she's working on a movie as of June, and she's already, like, the, the fuckedest horror director I've ever seen. Like, oh my god, you can really tell the influence of just... French artists are fucked, man. Okay, so, you know, sometimes... You probably won't uh, relate to this at all because you're vegetarian, but sometimes I walk into Walmart and pass by the raw meats and I go, kind of want to stick my face in that. <laughs> Made me ashamed to feel that way. <laughs> I mean, same. Well, yeah, the funny thing is when I was in France, I actually had raw beef for the first time. So they call it tartare du boeuf. It's safe to eat and it's really delicious. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know. It's just the weirdest sensation when you're eating raw meat. Mm-hmm. But it's it's delicious. And I kind of understand where she's coming from at the beginning of the film, when she just mm-hmm. grabs that chicken and bites into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess I guess we can start articulating why exactly we like this movie so much. It's just because it's so fucking, like... It's so ballsy. It, it's, and it, it's so strange and, like, so... It's, it's raw. It's raw. 
<laughs> there's raw emotion in the fact that she is eating people. Mm-hmm. And, like, you can see that she's kind of ashamed of herself but still keeps indulging in this. And, like, uh, it, it's just kind of relatable in the way that, like, sometimes we feel shame in the things we do but still want to do them. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, that, I, I like that you bring that up because there's a very big sexual aspect of this movie, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of, like, one of my favorite scenes was when she's looking in the mirror and she's getting all dressed up and she puts on lipstick and starts, like... Doesn't she start, like, kissing the mirror and... Yeah, there's that oh, yeah. part. Um, it's very much a coming-of-age film. and The most twisted coming Yeah, of the age most twisted coming-of-age mm-hmm. film, talking about the hardships you face... Becoming an adult and mm-hmm. being pressured by the people around you and being pressured by your family. Mm-hmm. At least that's mm-hmm. what I take away from it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely... Yeah. It's the, like the family legacy in the veterinary school is definitely like, you know, it's there. And like parts of like, so spoilers, the end of the film, like apparently her parents are cannibals also, or at least her mom is. Yeah. Because, like, the dad unbuttons his shirt and shows, like, he's got bits of flesh missing from his chest. And, like, um, so, like, it's a, a familial thing that's passed down. And, like, so, well, like, the even though she... Too. Yeah, like, even, the, like, yeah, so, like, it's a genetic thing. It's not just, like, something that happened with her and her sister. So, like, that thing, you know, you know like, you don't want to be like your parents. You know, people, people, like... You know, they dread growing up and becoming, like, like their parents. Mm-hmm. And, like, that, that kind of fits into the the narrative of the film. It's, like, that she feels so much shame for this stuff. And it's because, you know, that's, like, who, like, that's her family. And, like, she doesn't want to be a part of it. But she also just indulges in it because that's part of who she is. Every, every, every moment, every few minutes, uh... Other writers who are in the audience, and, and the two of you as well, might know the feeling of seeing something in a movie and just thinking to yourself, "God damn, I wish I had the I, God damn, I wish I had the gumption to write that myself. I wish I had come up with that." Basically, um, otherwise known as every time I turn on Steven Universe, um, <laughs> oh, yes, I'm a Steven Universe sycophant. I, I annoy everyone around me by talking about it constantly. But you're also a pearl sympathizer, which means you also hate the Irish. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That is an incredibly specific meme. And I since know. Tumblr, and since Tumblr is a black hole, no one's going to know it after a few months. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, actually, the problem with Tumblr is that it doesn't have any holes anymore. Because they got rid of all the porn. Well, yeah. I almost segued with speaking of porn in this movie, but no, I can't even say that. Like, it's, this movie is incredibly sexual, but it is one of the most... It's the strangest sexual film yeah, ever. It is, it is so tightly directed. Like... Like, everything about the cannibalism is symbolic of something, and it, like, fits in so well just because of how how the symbolism was chosen. Yeah. Like, uh, cannibalism can be anything yeah. because of the way it's set up. Yeah. And I, I love it. I love mm-hmm. that. Like, if I could compare this to any film, to any sort of major French art house film... Uh, because I don't consider this like I consider this to be a film that is that is up there with a lot of the with a lot of the modern and 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 older French classics. Like I think Ducourneau has already reached that level with her first movie, and it's kind of ridiculous. I was absolutely staggered, and a lot of people weren't quite as much. But I was like, this is literally like this is the best fun. This is just 
you know, I, I, I gush about this movie, but it, but it really is true. For me, the movie the, this most reminds me of, the director this, that, that she most reminds me of, is the sort of, like, intellectualized understanding of bodies that Claire Denis has in, like, Beau Travail, where it's, like, this movie about the brutality of human beings and what human beings do when they don't have... when, 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 they, when they're not allowed, when the things that they've suppressed bubble to the surface in ways that don't do in ways that just about don't do anybody any good. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's, and it's this, and it's that same kind of lyrical treatment of, uh, Bolshevelle for those not in the know is a movie from 1999 about French troops in Algeria. And, uh, and it's this like incredibly lyrical film about these men who just absolutely destroy each other physically and mentally and uh, and raw is and raw is similar to that in that it's about you know these 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 two women who just have these incredibly you know they have these incredibly dark proclivities and don't know what to do with them and it's this and it's this like god it's this incredibly like darkly you know i think some people call it comic but i just think of it as like you know the same way that i don't the same way that i think of the exorcist as a tragedy rather than a scary film I sort of view raw the same way where it's like this incredibly tragic film about what happens to people when when they're not allowed to indulge and then yeah. they finally get to mm -hmm. yeah it's I think that's one of the reasons why it why it why it fucked up the con crowd so much because the can <laughs> crowd you know, if you intellectualize, like if you if you just if you just show them fucked up images, like what Lars von Trier has been doing for the past several years, and basically unsuccessfully because he's, I don't know if I'll ever do a von Trier movie, so I don't know if I'll have to eat these words, but he's just, I wouldn't say he's not as good as people say he is because people aren't saying he's good, and I actually think he get, he sometimes does make interesting work, but like, he sort of fake intellectualizes it. And so people like people can see through that. I think the reason why so many people got fucked up by this movie at Cannes is because they couldn't see through it because it's genuine. And it is, I mean, it's weird to call a movie like this genuine, but in the same way that like the first movie I was here for, Hellraiser, I mean, I was, I was very theoretical on that. I told Kyla before we started this episode, I was like, let's do Raw because I'm better when I'm getting film student than when I'm trying to be funny. Um the just this incredibly like there's a lot of theoretical ground to mine for this movie and uh oh boy and it's all and it's all done in good faith right like i don't think this is just a movie that's designed to fuck you up now it yes like any good horror movie um you know another good comparison would be to something like the babadook which is this uh you know weirdly that director hasn't continued making horror films i think she made an australian period piece recently I hope she goes back to horror, but um, the the sort of like the deeply psychological and really formally and disciplined direction, like that's sort of how I that's sort of how I see this one. Um, the kind of film that you typically don't see at can, but the kind of film that you should probably see at can more and less. Uh, you know, I'm all for dis I'm all for fucked up shit if it's made in good faith. That kind of, I don't know, I kind of take, when I'm, I have a couple scripts that I've written for horror films, mainly just short films, but um, that are somewhat similar to this, because I take 
something disgusting and try to force it into my own experiences because that's the only way I can kind of express myself in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, ha- I have a script about um, like a monster that grows out of this woman's head because she has chronic migraines and uh, that's that's just the metaphor for it. Um, mainly it's based off my own experiences with chronic migraines, but, um, Mm. you know, I, I just, I really like the allegory for something disgusting being put in for like, you know, normal things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this movie really appeals to me in that way. But let's talk about that scene where she's getting a bikini. (laughs) Oh, that made me so uncomfortable. Like even before she, before the cannibalism starts, like I have a major... Um, I don't know. I'm majorly squicked out by the idea of waxing down there. And I know that people do it, mm-hmm. but it just, like, makes me so uncomfortable because mm-hmm. it seems so incredibly painful. So, first, that in and of itself had me on the edge of my seat. Like, just uncomfortable. And then, yeah, so the sister is, like, trying to help her get waxed and then, um, accidentally ends up cutting off Yeah, she, like, pulls out some scissors and, like, is trying to cut off some of the wax that got stuck or whatever. And, like, so the character, Justine, um, she starts freaking out and kicks her sister. And, like, it cuts off her finger. (laughs) And (laughs) so she, like, goes to, like, um, I don't remember if she just passes out or if she, like, goes to find, like, something to wrap her finger up in. I think she just passes out. I don't remember totally. Yeah, I think she passes out. Um, but she, but Justine picks up the finger, starts sniffing it, and then licks it a little bit, and then she just fucking goes to town on it. She just starts eating it like it's a corn on the cob. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, God. That scene goes through every possible sense because it's the there's a really great colorimetry of the film's visual construction, which I think is really really astounding. Um, there's a scene later on where they're at a paint party and it seems like the director just basic. it seems like DeCorno basically just directed that scene to be like, Hey, I colors, you know, when you can tell French directors love to show off because they're often among the greatest directors in the world. And DeCorno, I think is definitely a part of the French director echelon these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently hasn't had trouble getting projects off the ground, which makes me happy because someone who's that vanguard should not have trouble getting projects made Mm -hmm. um so there's the there's the visual dynamic there's every dynamic you can get in a film because there's the tactility of the which interfaces with the sound design which he's biting into the finger and the entire that entire scene is just is just one long fucked up like gestalt of all of the senses that like and it's hard to say how, and, and it is kind of difficult to say how it affects you. I mean, it's it's difficult to do justice in a podcast form. I guess if we had like a video, if I guess if we were doing a video essay on it, we could be like, all right, this cut lasts for 66.6 milliseconds, and that means this, and you know, like referencing film frames with the fucking I Ching or something. But like, you know, it is, I think one of the, one of the great things about horror, one of the great things about horror as a way into the human condition is that you can use it as a way to just sort of overwhelm people with images and with understanding that that falls outside the realm of written description that like I can't describe to you with words. Um, all the great horror movies have at least one or two moments where you can't just talk about it mathematically, right? 
mean, I guess, you know, Jaws is a pretty mathematical film, but, um, but just this, this way of looking at movies that, uh, that, that sort of, that sort of exists in this place where you can't really look at it the way you look at other, the way you look at even other horror films, because horror films are, you know, like the jump scare, the jump scare economy is incredibly straightforward, even in movies that are otherwise really excellent horror films. But this doesn't, this doesn't really do that. I mean, even when she cuts off her finger, there's definitely a loud noise. There's definitely an abruptness to it, but it's not like, you know, I don't know, Overlord or something where it's like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. It's less of a roller coaster. It's more like in that, in that particular scene, you go through a whole range of disgust and it starts at like something that's maybe slightly uncomfortable and then it immediately goes into something that is entirely disgusting. And that's why it works, is that it sucks you in with a just, like, a little bit so that you're feeling it, and then it immediately goes into, oh, oh my god, oh my god, oh no, no, ah, ah! <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it just, that, it just a little bit can take you a long way with, like, the way they, the, the, the shot is set up. Like, you just need a little bit of something, and then you can just fucking tumble right into it. Mm-hmm. And that's why it works so well, is that it it just grabs you, makes you look at something a little bit, and then just fucking shoves your head in the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, a- a- another aspect of this film that I'm really interested in is the familial relationship. Mm. Oh, yeah. I find that fascinating. Um that the the biggest dynamic is between the main character and her sister. Yeah. And just that kind of, um, you know, there's sort of a rivalry there, but then the sister also is genuinely trying to help her at some points. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. And there are times that I don't really know what to make of it. And yeah. Then... It's never, like, the, the sister never tries to, like, stop the cannibalism. She's always, like, partaking in it and wanting to partake in it and, like, kind of makes her sister partake in it, especially in the scene where they, like, go out on the highway and just, like, jump in front of cars to make them crash so that they can eat the people inside. Mm. Like, that scene in particular, like, really... uh, That part just really disturbed me is that they... I don't know. It's just that they would be willing to, like, just murder anyone to get something. Yeah. Like, not even, like, people that are around them that they can just, like, have easy access to. They just, like, you know, strangers. You're just a meal to them. It's crazy. <laughs> I love it. I, I love that. And I love that the sisters, you know, there's, like, an indulgence in the one sister, Alexia. And she just, like, kind of keeps going with it. And even though, like... Uh, the other sister is, like, kind of trying to stop herself from doing it. Like, she gets sucked right back into it because her sister is doing it. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely a familial influence, and that definitely plays a part in the way that the characters interact. And it, it just, it, it's so interesting because you don't want to be like your family sometimes, but, like, you're always going to be like your family. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's, I feel like that's portrayed very well. 
what other dynamics there you there are so many dimensions to watch this movie on mm-hmm. um i'm just trying to focus on the fun ones i guess also this movie's less than 90 minutes isn't it i think so check the runtime it is genuinely a really taut movie Runtime. That's a little long. It says an hour thirty nine. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's around a long around ninety minutes, minutes though. Yeah. And it you know and it manages to get in and get out really really quickly, but without sacrificing any of its. I mean, mm-hmm. Marty's showing me a list of screenshots right now, and it's just like Jesus, this movie looks good. I'm not showing you. I'm looking at it myself. You're just yeah. looking over my shoulder. I think I remember the first time I heard about this movie was in No Film School, and the interview. I think they interviewed Decorno. Um, and it was just like uh, um, the, the the title of No Film School because they're really good at clickbait titles on that website. It's just uh, here and read an interview with the director whose film made people like some, gave people panic attacks at Cannes. And I'm just like, okay, fine. What do I have to learn? And I'm like, oh god, oh god, oh oh god, so talented. Yeah, it's a very. This generation of horror directors is fucking ridiculous. Yeah, like... I know. It's just like, we were in, like, a dry patch in the early 2000s, and now we're at the point where I feel like it's just getting back into, you know... I feel like we're entering a new age of horror films. And Mm -hmm. I think we've talked about this before, because, like, there's so many good horror films right now that have come out within the past couple of years and they just keep coming at the point mm-hmm. at this point in time mm-hmm. like um we watched one recently that was Mandy and like oh yeah God, that movie was great it was extremely confusing but like it was so there's something about it that reminds me of raw a little bit in that like there's just a lot of genuine feelings in it even if you can't specifically place them Mm-hmm. And it it was just so I don't know how to describe it because really Mandy is indescribable <laughs> as a film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's it's, sort of the that's sort yeah. of the uh, that's sort of the, I guess the strength of all of these new film of all of these new films. You know, we took this genre that was once the weird like twenty tens ness of it all. I find really awesome, and I find it. I mean, there's an aspect to it that's hopefully permanent. You know. Where it's like, okay, we had these movies that were, uh, you know, really homogenous, not, 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 uh, identity wise, though they were definitely that too, but these movies that were made with a very specific, you know, as much as I love the, you know, the universal way, the universal cycle and the films made by MGM and Paramount from that period, you know, as much as I like that stuff, you know, definitely made with a very specific, you know, very immediate, very sort of homogenous goal in mind and for the most part the, i mean the 70s had their own projects i mean william friedkin was definitely one of those sort of unprecedented horror minds but after that i mean after halloween for example you didn't really have any of these you didn't really have any of these projects that really sort of knocked you on your ass there was you know the 80s are kind of the uh I guess it sort of I guess it sort of shows you how much the how, how how the different kind of world we're living in as we as people who talk about films but the 80s were these incredibly incredibly straightforward and you know homogenous and Can't not be. particularly interesting camp horror and of course there was an entire genre of films of film of film studies dedicated to understanding that these films might have some merit I mean we've all read the Carol Clover book and it's a good book 
but it's definitely like oh yeah it's definitely was it was definitely written it seems like something that was written on a bet like oh yeah from a film studies perspective from a freudian perspective you can defend literally anything so i'm going to do that with this to show you that oh yeah maybe people aren't that maybe that maybe moral judgments of art aren't an up or down vote which is something i wish critics today would something i wish critics today would sometimes take to heart but i mean a benefit of now is like how many of these films uh aren't directed by people who look like me for lack of a better word you know um, you being a, a white pseudo straight person yeah and a dude like yes. uh and not only not only films that are you know not only films not only films being made but films that are basically the iconic films of this wave being directed by like the babadook for example oh, the babadook is the film of this moment of this horror moment, and it still pretty much is. I mean, while for as long as you'll see Baba Dukes at Pride, that's going to be the thing, you know. And uh, Baba, yes. And I definitely don't want to. And I definitely don't want to make the identity discussion a part of all of this. Ducorno in interviews definitely seems like she's wary of the so as a wo- so as a wom who makes the films. You know, those are not those are not always questions that lead to good places. But the fact that there is a lot of I mean, to use another example, Get Out, you know, these films that are of the moment and these films that are made with a greater commitment to understanding, to sort of getting at the horror, the familiar horror of common situations, the horror of the world. Um, France in 2016 was, I guess, slightly better than America in 2016. But like, you still had the fucking national front coming out of the woodwork and nearly winning an election. And of course, now France is on fire um sorry uh any to any gilets jaunes in the audience we didn't we didn't intend to do that i just realized that we're writing that we're doing this episode right at the time of protests in france but um but that kind of changing shifting narrative that like you know the sort of the, the very different very inventive very exciting horror movement and you know, I, I very I very I very much doubt we'll ever return to. I think there'll be a time when people don't watch as many horror movies. I think, like anything, like television, for example, we're we've been trying to figure out when the golden age of television is actually going to end for a long time. But um, that discussion is a big is a big part of things, right? Where everything is, uh, you know, we might not be watching horror movies in a few years, but like you can't unmake these films. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you're not going to go back to the Reaganite slasher. Not that I don't like slasher films. I like a lot of stuff. I like just about every movie that's ever been made. Um, I don't feel, and I don't feel that I'm the moral arbiter of cinema or whatever the fuck, um, because that's not a, because those aren't interesting questions to me most of the time. But this sort of opening up of horror film stylistically for what it can really, really, really accomplish, and Raw is not necessarily like the centerpiece of that. But it's just, like, also just shows that, like, if Hollywood would pay more attention to independent filmmakers, the things that people complain at about them every time there's an Oscar ceremony and people take to the airwaves to complain about how really homogenous it is, if they would actually pull directly from the indies and directly from the award winners at the indies, they kind of did this year with giving the winner of the Independent Spirit Award a Marvel movie. But, like, if they would just do that for most of their work, then... You know, they wouldn't necessarily, I don't know if they'd solve everything, but they would at least, they wouldn't be as completely fucking screwed on that front as they are now. 
Yeah, the main problem with most of the uh, the film industry right now is that they are just constantly redoing movies because they know that's what's going to make money, and they're not mm-hmm. putting enough faith in people who make independent work um, because mm-hmm. it it's not a 100% good investment. But the thing is, like, who wants to see The Lion King for the millionth time? But this time it's CGI and slightly realistic. No one. I'm just going to go back and watch The Lion King from the 90s. Yeah, and I think they think that, and I think a lot of people in Hollywood, I mean, we're getting close to an award season, so that's kind of the mood I'm in. I think a lot of people in Hollywood don't realize that, like, if you want to... And of course, a lot of people in Hollywood who aren't producers are recognizing this. I mean, every every Oscars, and I don't see this year as any different, is going to has turned into an act of protest, and it makes the award shows kind of cringy to watch because uh, I don't know anyone who really wants to watch an award show eviscerate the industry it comes out of. But ultimately, I get it, you know. Um, also, I don't see how audiences at home are in any way complicit in Hollywood. I mean, most of the time they haven't even seen the movies that are coming out of the Academy Awards, anyways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if like, if I feel like there's an element of self-fulfilling prophecy to these, to these going slightly off topic, but I'm basically like why I want, this is basically the why I wish there were more movies like Raw uh, Diatribe. You know, there, there's this big, there's this massive, massive focus of pouring money into these re-releases, you know, the merchandisable re-release so that they can get more money out of them. But, like, surely if you're putting that much money behind a production campaign for anything, you can get a much greater... Like, if you if you put that much money behind something a little more radical, you could probably get eyeballs to it, you know? Like, you've basically created your own niche of the same shit because you're putting money... You know, all of these people are screaming at you from every conceivable... From your own award shows every single year. I mean, when, when was Oscar So White? What, 2015? Yeah. Like, people have been screaming at you from your own award shows to make actual reasonable change. The ACLU is threatening to sue your asses <laughs> because technically you might be actively in violation of Title VIII uh, on discrimination grounds that are related to bias because you just aren't getting new people in. Um, in You know, in a way, this goes back to the movie because, like, the industry is cannibalizing itself. Mm-hmm. So. And granted, from a French perspective, like, a lot more radical people got into French cinema. You know, you can pretty much, you know, Ducourneau would be fucked if she were working in Hollywood. Now, granted, she'd probably stay on the indies and make weird shit on the indies and become a cult favorite. Because, you know, it just seems like that's, it just seems like that's her vibe. But, like, you know, the, the self-fulfilling prophecies at the highest level of entertainment production in this country are just really weird. It's like... You know, if you would just if you would just put money behind stuff like this, and if you would acknowledge that when something doesn't make money, that doesn't necessarily mean that this isn't something valuable, right? Like, you would probably make just as much or just as little money if you brought new people in. Most of the time, <laughs> and people are being you know, and people are being protected to a way that they didn't before. But like, at least once they get Hollywood productions. Um, but like, there needs to they, a more interesting. And I'm not saying Hollywood should should produce hardcore cannibal movies. I'm saying Hollywood's I mean, obsession. I mean, they should yeah, <laughs> I'm saying that Hollywood's obsession with rehashing the same shit might be directly tied into the stuff that 
people complain about at the Oscars about, well, look, you've really, really, like, the world looks completely different from the people who are making our films. You're going to need to do something about that. Or, you know, we're going to start our own shit, or, and, or we're going to start our own shit, and we're going to outsell you. <laughs> Well, I think something that's also worth thinking about is how American-centric the Academy Awards are. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because, like, this movie's a French film, and um, just thinking about how many international films go completely ignored by the Academy. I mean, I know mm. they have a... International yeah, films category. Yeah, category. Like, there are so many <clears throat> films missed just from yeah. putting them all together in that. Like, you pick mm. five films... Just from for around one category whole, instead yeah. of considering like a five, bunch of other films that are out yeah. there. Yeah, and obviously five these, films from the whole world yeah. outside of America. And obviously these these places have their own these places these places have their own movies. These places have their own industries, all that. But like, you know, France has the Caesars, which are which are as old as the Oscars. But like, these movies, this this the the you know like I'm not saying like for the benefit of other countries. I'm saying for the benefit of us, you know. Yeah, well, because I think that it's harder to get American audiences excited about foreign language films. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of the people that I've talked to. Oh well, I don't want like subtitles, you know. But blah, like, blah, blah. Uh, so what? You learned mm-hmm. how to read in preschool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I Just agree. Read. I think that having mm-hmm. more of a spotlight on the international movies at the Academy Awards would really help get public attention focused on them. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's something we desperately need right now just because that outside perspective is important. Yeah, American culture is up its own ass. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and, I, like I think I said on the Tusk review, which by the time these come out might have been a few weeks apart, you know, this country looks has never looked more and less like what we want it to look like. And the Oscars, the Academy, Hollywood, right, is supposed to be on the side of progress, on the side of advancement. A lot of people there are. A lot of people there continue to try and push the envelope. But it is stagnant. It's slow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The the more people push back on it, the more that like people try to just like keep it at an equilibrium instead of going, you know, mm-hmm. you know, just trying to put it into full turbo because that's what we need is like, mm-hmm. you know, stop trying to, you know, pardon my language, stop pussyfooting around it and like actually do something about the stuff that's had like with problems like black panther made you black panther made you people you people hollywood producers i'm not ross perrowing right now (laughs) um made hollywood producers hundreds of millions of dollars and you know what the highest rated movie in rotten tomatoes history is after only a year of existing fucking ladybird (laughs) audiences want new stuff your audiences are shifting. Your audiences and your audiences that aren't moralistic about this stuff don't care. They yeah. will watch things that aren't about them, right? People are not opposed. Like the idea that something that something is niche because it's specific. Something that, by the way, literature doesn't give literature doesn't do this at all because in literature, if you if you if you read any book about how to write a story, they tell you that you get at the universal through being specific. I've never seen a film directed by someone who doesn't look like me that didn't resonate with me because of that, right? Like maybe, you know, now obviously at some point people are not going to be that interested in the moral arguments and maybe that's why people don't watch the Oscars because like, oh, well, 
you're just complaining about a problem that I as an Oscar audience member don't actually have any control over because you're controlling the pipeline of what I see in my theaters in whatever shithole town I live in. Mm -hmm. So it's your fault and you're talking to me about something that's your fault. So why don't you fix it? You know, but like this, you know, and, and ultimately like, and ultimately like, you know, these discussions are not, these discussions if they predominate too much, then you've just got the same problem of like, oh, this director is here because they are X, Y, or Z, not, you know, the deeper discussion of how the movie is made, how the movie is created, how the work And how is fucking talented people are. It's yeah. not even just because of a demographic. It's because people are so much more mm-hmm. talented than we give them credit for because we put it down to this demographic. And like, mm-hmm. I mean, the demographic stuff definitely is a problem. Like... We definitely need more black people, more non-white people, specifically, more just less white people in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And it just, you know, we need we need more gay people, more women, more trans people, more non-binary people mm-hmm. in, in Hollywood because those are the, you know, the people that are representing more of the culture than just straight white men and, and audiences are deeply empathetic right and like, they have a lot more interesting <laughs> stories to tell than you know mm-hmm. than what's being rehashed over and over again by these straight white people and if you want and if you want like a narrative of abundance to quote something i read recently like, like if you want this to be something like rather than an example of everything that shouldn't be done an example of what is kind of being done the slate of people who are hired at Netflix, right? Mm-hmm. Like Netflix realizes, and Netflix doesn't realize out of the goodness of its own heart. Netflix realizes that, oh shit, the most successful thing we've ever produced was produced by was produced by a woman and had an almost all women cast. Oh, this actually can sell. So they're buying things up. They're getting a ton of people from different demographics that aren't typically represented in uh, in television production. I mean, not, none of us watch Orange Is the New Black, but like that is a massive topic of discussion, and it's just like. The most successful things right now, the biggest things that are getting the most attention, and this is admittedly a self-fulfilling prophecy because people who care about these issues are being hired as, are being hired as media journalists. Mm-hmm. That, that's admittedly the case. And they're podcasting, for example. We care about this stuff. Yeah. Um, the media journalism is, is incentivizing this, but like the stuff that predominates is the stuff that is directed by newer groups of people because they bring something new, right? Like... Steven Universe wouldn't be shit if it wasn't directed by a bisexual, non-binary Jewish lady. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it would be a completely different thing. And that, you know, and, and, and understanding that identity confers a degree of interest to a work is not, you know, it's not prejudice in reverse. It's acknowledging. And we are acknowledging it, you know. A lot of people are acknowledging it. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the indies certainly are. Mm-hmm. You know, television is getting slightly better about it. Television at the highest echelon is getting much better about it. I think horror is getting better about horror it. Star- I mean, well, yeah. this generation of horror started yeah. with it. Jordan Peele's really started to um, become a leader, I think, in yes. the horror filmmaking community. Mm-hmm. So he's got the new Twilight Zone coming up, and Fuck he's yes. um, doing a program where he's hire- finding scripts from a, lo- a lot of young minority writers. Mm-hmm. and helping produce them and get them made into movies. So I think mm-hmm. that's an important thing, too. You know, it doesn't... It's not just the people at the bottom. It has to also be the people at the top, the people yeah. who yeah. are dis- picking the new filmmakers. <laughs> and despite the, ba- the fact that we were bashing remakes, he's also doing a new Candyman, um, which 
you know, I'm kind of excited about because it's going to be about, you know, the demographic that it's about, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, hell, you want to you wanna talk about how horror started that? I mean, Candyman was written by a gay man, first yeah. of all, so... The fucking director of Frankenstein was gay in the 1930s mm-hmm. and out, too. Like, these are... You know, a big part of the discussion is just acknowledging the pillar, the pluralism that was already there, but for whatever reason, didn't get acknowledged. Um, of course, that's less, that's a little less optimistic than bringing new people in, and bringing new people in is how you create the pipelines for understanding that, that really change things. And I mean, ultimately, there, I think we'll reach, I think we'll eventually reach a critical mass. We've kind of already have on the front page of Netflix, really, mm-hmm. um, where it's like, oh yeah, you know, you can go through an entire page without seeing a director of a, a director or showrunner of a cultural majority. Now, admittedly, maybe not, maybe that's a little much, but like massive, massive, massive shifts away from cultural majority. And that's of course, because inclusivity is becoming a saleable quality. Um, but eventually that critical mass is going to reach the point where like, you don't go back from it, you know, you don't go back from any of this. And so like, I think that's why so many people care about it. It's like, Oh shit. We actively have this in all echelons, talked about from all levels, talked about from all angles. You know, I'm, I'm intensely optimistic because you can't unmake these films. I think I said that earlier tonight. You can't unmake these films. You just, you know, and if you're stu- and, and if you're not stupid, you're not going to den- you're not going to close off access. You know, I, I think a lot of things are happening within our lifetime and ha- will happen within our generation that are going to be kind of. that are going to be a pretty big deal you know i don't think in terms of ultimate goals because there's going to be shit that work that our grandchildren complain at us for not solving because we didn't notice it was a problem and and i've been cynical a lot because it's because it's the late 2010s and there are nazis in the white house but like most of us don't want that you know most of us are interested in excavating a pluralistic society a an advancement of things basically what we've already wished we were i mean you can't undo that you can you can you can decades from now stall it but you can't stop it and you can't undo it so uh i guess that's my optimistic note is like you know also can has a benefit uh, going back to can oh that, for like, sure every year they have a different panel of judges Mm-hmm. If you have a problem with a certain grid demographic not being adequately represented at your award show, shift the numbers of the nine judges. And that changes a lot of things. So, like, I mean, that's what Kate Blanchett, who was the head of the, uh, that's what Kate Blanchett said when she was at the head of Cannes. She was like, yeah, it's going to be slow, but people are invested in changing it. Um, mm-hmm. Because, I mean, the alternative is to make less money and to possibly be arrested. <laughs> so... So that that's my hopefulness for you is that eh, movies are getting better. Yeah. We're the younger people, the people who are anti, the people who are neutral on pluralism are going to let it happen. The people who are against pluralism are dying. <laughs> We're in our twenties and we care about this with the intensity of a thousand suns, and will eventually be the leaders. I mean, the, those who are against pluralism are also our age, but you know, there are less of them. They're definitely less of them. Of them. Yeah, so, like, we'll think counter-bullshit as we get older, but, like, the the long arc of film history bending towards less bullshit, I think, is something I'm willing to believe in. Mm-hmm. It's hard to remind yourself of that, because, again, Nazis in the White House, but, like, of course we're going to lose sometimes. Yeah. Well, this got 
this went into a this went into a very philosophical place. I imagine I'm you're going to gank. I imagine you're going to gank some of this for the sake of clarity. Um, but. maybe not. We'll see. It's definitely like a it, conversation though. that is that needed to be talked about. Yeah, and especially, I like it, and especially think... with the topic right now with the filmmaker and like the film itself is something that you know definitely fits into the like. Yeah. I definitely well, also, I want, also so. this episode will probably be released close to the Academy Awards. So yeah. I think yeah. that will be a very important conversation I imagine, to have. And I imagine like and I'm gonna, and I mean I, I we sort of deliberately started by talking about what made the film a good movie because frankly no, I don't think about moral arbitration of the film industry most of my life because I'm not working and I'm not a producer. Like no, I don't give a shit most of the time. I watch movies and I enjoy them. You you hear me as the intellectual, but no, I'm not most of the time that because if I'm that most of the time, I go crazy. You know, I, I, I if I you know if I spiral into that, I'm I get unproductively frustrated, and there's no point to that. Most but, intellectuals um, either keep quiet about it or yeah, they're us. <laughs> yeah, I read a I read a uh, there was a big Twitter feed recently, a big Twitter war where this uh, critic at this this Washington Post editorial in the aftermath of the end of Filmstruck, um, argued that, you know... Peace. Yeah. Um, basically argued that, you know, we shouldn't care about film preservation. Lost films are part of the appeal of films, basically. And I was just like... And, and film Twitter went crazy. Oh, and, God. Uh, that, you yeah. saying that just made me fucking angry. <laughs> yeah, and someone once referenced her, because this, this person was like a... This person was a film academic with credits at, like, fucking Emory and shit. And someone, one of, and one of, one of her critics said, you know, this person probably doesn't, doesn't realize that sometimes you can just enjoy a film. And I definitely don't want to be that asshole. Like, I don't think about ethical issues in film most of the time, but I think, and that's why I, I started this episode. We started this episode by talking about, oh yeah, this movie's really good and it would be good regardless, but I just felt the investment in segueing. And I hope that, uh, yeah. and if you've listened to that entire speech, depending on how much of that Kyla decides to use, I hope that that wasn't uh, too much of a denouement, because I do think there's a great benefit to being both hopeful and joyful and encouraging what we have and creating a narrative of abundance um, and making just a fundamental acknowledgement that the people who are the biggest part of the problem are very near death. So, yes, there is hope. By guillotine or otherwise. Mm-hmm. And we're not. We're not going to answer the final question. We're not going to answer. We're not going to reach the final answer to the final problem because that's not the goal of any generation of human beings. But you know, people who were born, but people are going to look at the time we lived in and say, "Wow, how could you have lived with it?" And our response is going to be, "Well, it was just kind of life, you know. Like it wasn't like we weren't. It wasn't like we were alone." Mm-hmm. But you know, we look that way. You know, all three of us have broad LGBT connections. We probably feel that way about the '80s. Yeah. And that's, we definitely don't feel that same way today. Yeah. And you keep asking questions because that's what you're supposed to do. Not because, not because the world is hopeless, but well, because your obligation is to keep asking. It's, sometimes it's not even the fact that we just lived with it. It's the fact that, you know, fighting against it is a part of life at And this it point always will be. Like, a thousand years from now, we might not be asking these questions. But we're going to have things to ally our lives against and in favor of, you know, like these are it's just inevitable that you will have something to talk about, to argue with, to fight with. It's the human condition to 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 move the dials in whatever direction you can for a more equitable, more just, more better world, you know, Mm -hmm. and like any kind of better world thing, you're one of millions of people and 
you may or may not get everything you want, but that's not really the goal. The goal is to do it, you know? Yeah. I hope in a thousand years people are still making cannibal movies. Oh, me too. Well, I hope that... I also hope that in the distant future people keep coming back to this movie. I definitely think it's worth it, and I think... There's definitely it's... something to be taught and something to be taken from it. Yeah, and I think it it could easily go down in history as a, as a cult classic. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm eager um, to see more. Yeah, yeah, so I'm thankful to Netflix for putting it on there, and um, I encourage everyone who hasn't seen this movie to please go watch it. Yeah, this is definitely one we would recommend. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, one of the better ones on Netflix, and yeah. and just one of the better modern horror movies in general. Yeah, it's... it's it's raw. <laughs> That's right all on. I can say about oh, it. So to bookend things a little bit, at some point during our conversation, I did go to my Google Translate and look up grave in French, like the actual definition, because I wanted to know. Mm-hmm. And it means serious, mm-hmm. which I think I actually did know that. I just forgot because, mm-hmm. I don't know, I'm not very good at my adjectives. Well, that makes sense because, like, grave... Yeah. It's like, it, yes. it also means serious. So. It might actually be a loan word. Cool. Yeah. So, anyway, a little tidbit of trivia for you. Um, oh, another tidbit of trivia. The raw chicken she ate was actually made out of sugar. And um, the actress that played Justine said that she uh, cannot eat candy anymore because it makes her sick from doing I can scene. imagine. I Fucking just, movies, man. Yeah. yeah. Just biting into raw sugar is, like, just as Whoops. gross as biting into raw meat, really. I would rather bite into raw meat. <laughs> <laughs> I would, too, honestly. Uh, I'm sugar not, would hurt your teeth. As much as I like soda and as much as I like some forms of candy, I just can't eat so much of it. Because, you know, as anyone knows, if you eat a bunch of it, it makes you sick. But it just, I, I can't do, like, candy candy. And, like, thinking about eating something like that just makes me feel sick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The things people do to make good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes. The things I do for oh. love. Okay. <laughs> 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 well, that wraps mm-hmm. things up. Yeah. Um... You can find us on Twitter at Netflix underscore in underscore kill. And uh, you can find Aaron in a ditch on the side of the road, probably. Uh, hey. Hey, I'm eating him. Oh. <laughs> well, that took <laughs> that's a dark turn. <laughs> it's like the scene where she eats the people, you know? Yes, I, yes, I, I have seen the movie that we just oh. did an hour long <laughs> podcast about. They eat the people. I'm going to eat Aaron. Well, please do it after we're done. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Have a good night, you guys. Stay safe and watch a lot of movies. Yes. May your nightmares be plentiful.